Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I'm Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. Yeah, I feel like I'm on the end of the bench like Blake Griffin right now. I'm stuck between Dayron Sharp and Kessler Edwards, and I'm like thinking I'm better than I am. That's how I feel right now. <laughs> but I got but I got the jokes, though. Like, Imagine sitting on the end of the bench next to Blake Griffin. He's just cracking jokes all game. And my good friend, Mike Minkoff. Well, Josh, you once labeled me the Marcus Smart of uh, this podcast, so I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good today. That's, uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. I'm just feeling pretty good. Marcus Smart wins Defensive Player of the Year. We're going to talk about it today. We're also going to give our reactions to Game 1, Celtics-Nets, 115-114 win for the Celtics at the buzzer. We'll talk just briefly towards the end about Kyrie Irving, but we're not going to give him any more than he deserves before looking at the schedule against Brooklyn in this round one playoff matchup. Mike, let's go to you first. Who do you want to talk about in reaction to this game against the Nets? Why don't we start with old friend, new friend again, Al Horford, the seasoned vet, the guy that you guys laughed at me when I said he might just sneakily be the second most important Celtic in the playoffs. Um, Al Horford put up a monster game one, 41 minutes, 20 points, 15 rebounds, two blocks. Um, brought, gave eight. us everything. Yeah, plus eight on the game. Uh, second highest on the team, I believe. Uh, gave yeah. us absolutely everything we needed and was a problem, was a problem for the Nets. He was he was too big for their small lineups, uh, big enough for their bigger lineups. Drummond was useless for the Nets. He hit two th- two threes, two for two from a three, um, and you know he's just a connector. He just makes everything work on, on makes everything work a little bit better on both offense and defense. Uh, he was looking it, it spry. Turned back me. that clock exactly. Yeah. He looked great, and I actually expect him to look just as good. I don't know if he'll have the same numbers, but I think he will be just as impactful, just as ready in games two and three because we have three days in between games one and two. We play again on Wednesday after playing Sunday, and then we don't play again until Saturday, another three days in between games two and three. And if we know anything about Al Horford from his time with the Celtics previously, it's that he likes the extra rest. Um, if this season, if this um, series goes long, it's only going to be uh, one day in between uh, games for the rest of the series. So let's get as much as we can out of Al Horford rested when he has that time to recover, get treatment, rest his body, etc. He looked amazing in this game, and it was important because Daniel Tice did not play well, uh, quite foul prone, and I would say his fault this time. I know he gets a bad whistle. I agree with that. I think most of the the four fouls that he had were uh, on him in this game. And uh, without Robert Williams, and with Grant Williams not playing very well this game, it was that much more important that Horford stand out as he did. I mean, are we are we uh, saying nice things about Horford, or are we are we taking shots at other guys? I felt like he was really steady the entire game. He was, and and he started the game. Um, I think it was. He switched on to a guard. I think it was Curry who drove in, and he stayed with Curry, but Tice came over and rotated over to help and left uh, Drummond open for the dunk, and Curry dumped it off to Drummond. And that was like third, fourth play of the game, and Horford was yelling at Tice, like, don't help, don't help, we don't help. Like, we don't need to help off. 
especially when it's a guard driving, like our bigs with their length can, especially Horford, because he's the one guarding the ball screens at the top and doing all those switches and ending up on those guards. Like, obviously, we're not switching or helping off of anybody to, to, to help out on quick guards, unless it's Kyrie, probably. Um, so I just like that he was being vocal at the beginning of the game. Um, and it seemed like we had, like, he had his moment of vocalness in the beginning of the game that set the tone. Tatum had a moment in the beginning of the game that set the tone. Smart had a moment in the beginning of the game that set the tone. It was like several guys kind of had their standout moments, whether it was like diving on the floor, getting a steal off of Durant, or just being vocal. And like one by one, each of our individuals stood out at some point. And that to me was like a sign that uh, that we were, we were all ready to go um, and that we were going to be a little bit intimidating even. Um, I don't know if the Celtics are a team that other teams around the league think are intimidating, but when we play the way we do defensively, when we talk and and are just kind of like on a string like we are, that speaks volumes to leadership. And to me, that you know goes to the, the leaders on this team, young guys like Brown and Tatum who stepped up uh, as leaders. But Smart has unquestionably been the number one leader of this team for seven years now. Uh, he's played on the team for eight. And I think Horford's kind of in the background, been that shadow that's always lurking, that that quiet leader um, who maybe when there's a disagreement, kind of people look to him. It's time for Al to speak up. Um, so it was good to see him speak up early, and it was good to see that his leadership was on display. Yeah, one, one final point about Al. This is just the most recent in a long line of Al stepping up big in, in the playoffs. Um, for years when he was here, the first go round, you know, he would put up somewhat pedestrian regular season numbers and then drop lines like this in the playoffs over and over again. He, ne- he doesn't get rattled in the, in the postseason. He, he, I feel like his three point percentage goes up. I don't actually have the numbers in front of me at the moment. I'll look those up in background. Um, and it, yeah, it's just, it's just awesome. He's been everything the Celtics could have hoped for and probably a bit more uh, this season when they reacquired him. Horford also hit a three early in the game, which to me, it's like if, if Horford's talking and hitting his first one or two threes, like you can kind of, that's a sign. If he's missing those and he's quiet and you know, like that's, that's also a sign. So like, that's, that's the kind of thing, like you're going to, if you're the Nets, you're going to let Horford, you know, shoot those threes. You're going to let white, shoot those threes. But if those guys start hitting them, then it's like, uh oh, our game plan is now now might need to be scrapped. Like that's when self doubt starts to come in for the other team. Um and, and I think that's why it's intimidating. My my hunch was correct. In the regular season in his career, his three point percentage is thirty six percent for his career in the postseason. And again, that's all those seasons with Atlanta as well as his last go around with Boston. Um and and he even had a few games with Philly in that that lone season. His career three point percentage in the postseason is forty one percent. So he Ooh. comes up big in the postseason. Wow. So Grant Williams also when he came into the game, it didn't seem like obviously he was giving us energy. I loved the way he was wanting the matchup with Durant. Um, he, you know he sees himself as that Batman stopper. I don't know if he's really that that guy. But I like the fact that he comes in and has that ego and has that will to win. Um, you know, the, just to have guys who really compete like that coming off the bench is huge. 
but he obviously didn't have a good game. He's another guy who picked up fouls. And Adam, like, I agree that Tyson's fouls were his fault, but we'll talk about the refs later. That we get that was a weird playoff whistle for both teams. Um, yeah. And Grant Williams was a victim of that early on. I think that's what started him in getting into a rut. With Grant, I thought, uh, like, he didn't have an amazing game, but I, I thought defensively he was fine. Um, like, he, he had some impressive contests for, of yeah. Durant, uh, maybe particularly early in the game. Uh, you know, he didn't hit his three-pointers. I was really surprised when I looked at, like, the plus-minus for the game and saw he was, like, far and away, had the worst plus-minus on the team at minus 17. Apparently, we got smoked in his minutes. Yep. Um, I thought that – I didn't – that seemed more incidental to me than a reflection of the quality of his play. I think it was because he was lying, you know, on the floor all the time when the Nets had their Kyrie only lineup, and that that's a lineup that smoked us. But I didn't, I didn't think that was Grant's fault. Um, well, when he's missing his threes, that impacts. The yeah, that's lines. a that's a big deal. That's a big deal. But but it's still that plus minus to me did not seem reflective of how like that seemed more extreme than, you know, I thought he had a slightly subpar game because he didn't hit his threes versus being like a total negative on the court. If you look you at, guys plus agree minus, with that or? I, I think if you look at plus his Grant Williams plus minus in his minutes where he's shooting 40% versus 32% that you're going to see the plus minus be completely correlated to the three point percentages. Yeah, that's probably fair. I watching Grant. I, I it actually had me looking up, his playoff statistics just to see how many games and how many minutes he's played in the playoffs. Cause he seemed extra amped as if it was like his first playoff game playing real minutes with a real role. And he's had two seasons playing in the playoffs. Um, not the same role that he has now, which is a much more important one, but uh, he just seemed like over aggressive, extra energy, almost like Jalen Brown had to start the game. That's where I saw his fouls coming from as well. Uh, and and him complaining about the fouls too. It just seemed like playoff inexperience to me. So I was happy for him to get those minutes to to hold his own enough. But I didn't didn't I wasn't all that impressed with it. Um, it didn't it, he didn't stand out to me as someone who was playing well. And I think so we I got to back that up. I got a Grant Williams question for you guys. Do you think is he ready for this? Is he ready for this role, like being yeah, actually a fine. part of the core? in the playoffs, yeah. in games that really matter like this. Because I yeah, could see it going one of two ways. I could see him having several games like this where he's overly aggressive and sometimes that's great and sometimes that gets him in foul trouble real quick and he's not hitting his threes. And then maybe he'll have one game per series where he really comes out and has a great game, but the rest of the time he's just he's just not ready. And then I could see him like really being an X factor. How do you guys see this playing out? I think he's completely ready to be like an eighth, you know, ninth man in a, you know, contending caliber rotation like ours. Like, I I don't think he's miscast in the role. I think this particular series is and matchup might be the the hardest for him individually because you've got, you know, one of the things Grant improved on so much this season in the was his ability to really effectively guard players of all sizes on the perimeter. But yep. that can be true, and so can the fact that Grant really doesn't have a great chance at putting it kindly against either Durant or Kyrie Irving. Neither do 98% of the people in the NBA. 
Um, so the, the reality is because our defense is a switch heavy defense, uh, Grant's going to find himself on an Island against those two guys in this series. And, and I thought he actually held up really pretty well, all considered against Durant. I think he's hopeless against Kyrie. Um, yeah. And and and, I would say the same thing for PJ Tucker. I think Grant's doing a great PJ Tucker impersonation right now where like PJ, he did a good job against Durant in the playoffs with Milwaukee, but I, but like sorry, he, he I, can't I, stay I, in front of any quick guys. I always find that. I mean, I think that's true, but Durant did score like 40 points a game that series also, which is just the reality of Kevin Durant. So I always get a kick when people are like, yeah, PJ Tucker made him work. It's like, I guess. <laughs> I mean, but it's when, Kevin you, Durant. See, it's just Kevin when Durant. you see Durant like lose the ball, you know, two or three times in the first half, like he did against the Celtics. And you see the the physicality being kind of what causes that. I think that you know that's a token to the the, the defenders who like Grant Williams or PJ. Well, I got I I got a segue for you guys because you know who did a really good job on Kevin Durant defensively. Marcus Jason Martin. Tatum. Jason Tatum. <laughs> and, wrong, Josh. <laughs> the defensive player of the year. No, Tatum looked like he had been watching film, not just of of Durant, but of uh, Kyrie Irving, too. There was a play early in, I can't remember if it was the first quarter, late first, early second quarter. When Durant drove middle? Nope, where Kyrie Irving was was, uh, in his bag uh, dribbling and crossed over Tatum, but Tatum was like waiting for it, like he knew exactly what was coming basically grabbed the ball from him and started going the other direction. Nobody does that against Kyrie Irving, the guy with the best handles in the league. Yeah, Tatum has been watching film, knows his moves, was on top of them. That's the kind of play you make when you know what's coming because you've been studying. And then the block of Durant was just unbelievable. Uh, Tatum is really impressing me with the way he's thinking the game. and it's coming Oh, yeah, and he had a game-winning layup uh, at the buzzer in – that was almost stopped my heart. <laughs> yes, there was that. That is not an example of him thinking the game, in my opinion. No. I mean, he, well, it was he, a nice he cut. cut. He, 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 he went, he he went towards the hoop. As No, he went towards the hoop as soon as Marcus broke yeah. down that, that line. You know, that's still thinking the game. Kevin Durant and Kyrie were both flat-footed. All three of them had played 40-plus minutes. They were exhausted. Tatum never lost focus. So that my was examples example were about studying, translating onto the court. Would you like another? Whatever. Example? <laughs> another example it, of, of Tatum thinking the game. I thought he started the game really slow. I thought that was really? like really poised of him that oh. that he was kind of letting the game come to him. He wasn't looking rushed at all because of the moment. Uh, and that's kind of the sign, like when, uh, you know, the, the old cliche, when the game slows down for the player, that's when the player really comes into their own. And Seven assists in the first half, Josh. Well, obviously he was facilitating. He was looking for other guys, and that was yeah. intentional and an example of him thinking the game. But just the pace I, I thought he was at was, yeah. uh, like, there were a couple plays where I was like, come on, man, hustle. And, and then I was like, you know what? Actually, it's a good thing that he's, like, really just letting the game come to him and playing at that pace and, and really seeing what's going on. You could tell he was being observant on the court. And 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 he kind of took it over at, at certain points. So is this the Tatum gush fest now? Can we, can we get into that? I think you're into it. Um, 
I think he's he's gone up yet another level. I think the way that we're seeing the scouting report come out into his play, like Adam just mentioned, defensively, the way he really was I mean, I've never seen him hustle defensively making like three, four, five efforts in a play. I've seen him make multiple efforts, like two, maybe three. But the way that he like was like, No, no, I'm gonna be visibly the best defender on the court when you've got the defense of the player of the year next to you. That to me was was him leveling up like yet another time. Um and I was as he was getting seven assists in the first half, I was like, is he now gonna revert back to like hero ball in the fourth quarter? Like is that is he just gonna do this to show that he's that he's leveled up like I'm describing, but then like when the game actually matters, he's gonna level down again. Um and I don't think that happened. Um so but I'm just loving the the matchup with the rant and how it's just so apparent that Tatum is um, hungry for that matchup. You know, he's, he's Durant would look legitimately frustrated in the first quarter of the game. And I think part, part of that was because Tatum's leveled up. I think he, I think Durant looked fr- frustrated throughout most of the game. Like that was the, the most pedestrian I've ever seen Kevin Durant, especially in like a big playoff game. Like, I feel like in all of the playoff games, big playoff games, Durant's been in in recent years he's just been unstoppable um and he's got 23 points and 24 on 24 shots like he had seven turnovers or whatever it was that was it was obviously a team defensive effort but but Tatum I, I mean you're right on is totally taking on that challenge and on the other side of the court had you know 31 points eight assists I'm not sure how many rebounds he had but he really control, you know, played with control and poise. He did have a bit, a few too many turnovers. Um, but he, he is, I agree. He's kind of taking, I mean, at this point, he's really trying, trying to lock himself into just a top five player in the NBA. Um, and if he keeps putting up games like this one through, through a, a successful playoff run, you know, he's going to be there in an ironclad way. And I think he'll be on a very, very, very short list uh, as a front runner for MVP next year. He is, he is reaching kind of the heights we all have been hoping he would reach. And I, to me, he's reaching it about a year or so earlier than I expected. The turnaround jump shot that he had on Durant from the baseline. You guys remember that play in the first half? Yeah. Yeah. That was the first real run that the Celtics had. Like that initiated the first run. I remember like Mark Jackson on the call. He just said, wow, like that to me, there's like certain moments that are tipping points potentially like, and, and when you get the ball in the post and you do basically KD's move on him, uh, when you know he's three inches taller than you and it goes in and you look at the ref, like, where's the foul? Like that to me, that's, there's just example after example of, like big moments or turning point moments or moments where you can see he's, he's not, uh, you know, the guy who's looking at Durant on the the poster in his wall as a kid anymore. He's like, no, I'm actually going to beat you this time. And I'm taking this torch from you. Speaking of kind of, you know, things going, just ebbing and flowing over the course of the game. Can we just take a step back? Like, how were you guys feeling just over the course of that game, watching that game? I feel like we yeah. haven't given proper was, proper was, justice to how great a game that was. I was stress eating after biting my nails. It was like, okay, moving on to the next stress response 
activity uh, just to stay in the game. But the whole time I was like, we got this. I, we're coming out with this win. I felt confident in the Celtics. As Kyrie is hitting every shot, I was like, it's fine. Not a big deal. We'll be fine. I did not feel awesome at 107-102 Brooklyn. <laughs> that, that was not a good moment for me. <laughs> I was nervous. You, I was yeah. nervous. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, we came out so aggressive defensively um, that I was like, oh my God, this is, we're just putting the clamps on them. Like this is, this is exactly what we expected. Um, Brooklyn has no chance, even though like, as it, as it seemed like I test, we were, we were dominating the game, but the score never showed that, you know, it was like the, the nets were always within a few points or when the points were nine or 10, the nets would go on a quick run and, and, and break it down again. So, um, I thought it was definitely a nerve wracking game. And I think like the refs played a big role in that because we're the number one defense. We're aggressive. Even our young guys think that they can defend Kevin Durant, you know, like they're coming out like with all this confidence. And if the refs call the game like a playoff game and let some things go, that is to our advantage. But if the refs call ticky tack fouls, then all of a sudden, you know, our number one advantage, our number one defense is taken away from us. And so that's what that's what was so nervous to me about this game. 18 foul calls in the first quarter, 30 foul calls uh, by the refs in the first half. Like those a- numbers are astronomical. And uh, yeah, it every, was just, every, All but two starters had four fouls or more by the end of the game. Yeah. And so I'm just like, throughout the game, I'm also, as I'm nervous about the Celtics and how the refs are calling the game and whether our, our main advantage is going to be taken away from us, I'm wondering, like, what is the agenda? Like, is... is are they trying? Is the does the league want Durant to win this series? Is that why they're calling the games like this? And then like, it just doesn't make any sense to me why the refs would all of them. It wasn't like one ref was calling all these bad fouls. Every single one of the refs started calling ticky tack fouls in the first half. What's the point of that? Because then they went back to calling it like a normal playoff game. Like, why would you not have a normal playoff whistle and then go back to having a normal playoff whistle? I just don't understand that. I mean, I you know, I think I don't really buy into the the uh, refs having agenda and trying to tilt series one way or another. There might be, I think, if anything, there's a human nature element that creeps in. Um, in this case, I think the refs probably just got prone to the excitement, like all the players. I also I also think it was very physical basketball. So mm-hmm. it's not like they weren't exactly fouls. So a lot of the times. I didn't, I didn't see a lot of ticky tack fouls except for like the one where Horford, like, you know, his hand glanced Kevin Durant on a rebound that Durant wasn't going to get. And for some reason got called a foul. That's the only one that sticks out to me as like, that was an egregious call. There were a couple of like charge block calls that didn't go our way, but that happens in any game. It just is more frustrating in the playoffs. Um, but overall, I mean, I thought we played really aggressively. I'm sure Ime was like, the philosophy is going to be play really aggressively, play really physical. They can't call them all. The rest kind of called them all or tried to in the first half. And eventually we're like, all right, we're going to let this be a little bit more physical in the second half. I, I think, it, in any, if anything, it, it maybe speaks well, because I don't think the whistle is going to be like that all series. And so maybe it's good to have that out of the way now. I was going to say a similar comment, Mike. Uh, I found the refs 
to be equal opportunity uh, offenders. They say, you know, call it both ways. Well, the refs did. Yeah. They just happened to call it somewhat poorly both ways. Um, and if they let the Celtics play aggressively, that's a win for us. So I, I'm happy with that. Uh, if it continues like this the rest of the series, I think that's a good thing. What did you guys think, speaking of physical play, um, think of Jeff Van Gundy calling uh, – it was an, a clearly an inadvertent elbow by Kyrie into Jalen Brown's face, but it was an elbow to the face. And Jeff Van Gundy's like, that's nothing. Yeah. The thing that had him bleeding for the second time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jeff Van Gundy coached in an era when that was nothing. That's I know. That, 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 uh, yeah. But he also, he also wasn't the guy ever on the court getting his face bashed by elbows. I mean, I recall Jeff Van Gundy you, on his stomach holding on to, was it Alonzo Mourning? No, it was uh, Ewing's Ewing. foot. Uh, he was getting, getting dragged, dragged along. during a fight. Yeah. So <laughs> That's right. I forgot about Jeff Van Gundy got right up in the middle of that melee. So uh, I, no one's questioning Jeff Van Gundy's toughness on this podcast any longer. We, we have not talked about Jalen Brown yet. Josh, I thought Jalen started slow. I wondered yep. if that, those were, I mean, he, he talked about not being able to sleep for days prior. He was super amped. And I thought that might've had something to do with how he started the game, but he, he was not hitting shots, especially early on. Uh, what did you see from him? Yeah, just that. I, I felt like he, he missed a few layups during the game. You know, some some of these games, he's just making everything. And and then every once in a while, he'll have a game like this. And I think that's what causes people like the podfather, Bill Simmons, to question, like, oh, who's no. our second guy? He did that again this past weekend. I met Mike, I meant to talk to you beforehand about, like, to do a, a bet on, like, estimated time of Josh's Bill Simmons comment. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the Nets have two guys, Kyrie and Durant. We only have one guy. Like, come on, man. Like. Obviously, Jalen did not have his best game. Neither did well, Durant. Can I can I push back on that? I mean, he didn't have his best game, but he had a great game. He led the team in plus minus, and I think he that's did. fair. And he was like, he made brilliant plays in the fourth quarter. He hit the three to make it 107-105. I think he got the layup to tie it. He had the push ahead. At, with that, you know, he had that amazing kind of follow-up block on Durant uh, sometime in the fourth quarter, whenever that was. Um, he and then that last play, Derek White got him the ball. He pushed it. He turned the corner on on uh, Drogic, um, I think attracted Bruce Brown. And then instead of forcing the issue, right? I mean, everyone's talked about this at this point, but he made the pass to Smart that got you know the last two defenders basically Claxton and whoever jumping at Smart. And then Smart made the great play to get into the the paint. But Jalen and then Ime made made a point, you know, as everyone's kind of celebrating to to single out Jalen and be like, you you nailed that. Like you did exactly what you had to do. So I thought yep. Jalen had a really, really good game. And I made my my joke I mean, it's a half joke about Horford being the second most important, but Jalen came up huge in this game. And he pushed I through bleeding out of both nostrils and yeah. trying to stay on the court. You know, like you could tell he wasn't himself in those moments. And you could tell that the, the, his teammates were like not icing him out, but, you know, like looking at other guys first because they could see he was struggling. But we still all wanted him out there. And the fact that he was pushing through all that to stay out there, I think 
is a testament to his commitment to, to everything. And so um, I think just like Durant, you're going to see Jalen Brown bounce back and have yeah. uh, some monster games this series and be, uh, you know, one of two guys that we have on our team, not just one. I think we need him to to win this series. I think Jalen Brown needs to play better than he did. I I I, I mean, I, I agree with both of you and think it was somewhere in the middle. You saw some Jalen Brown things that I recall from three four years ago, saying he needed to work on his loose handle, uh, his his uh, missing layups, um, and and even missing a couple free throws. Um, and he made big winning plays like. It was both of those things, but yeah. I think you'll see more complete games from him, and we definitely need that uh, because the guys on the other side of the ball are going to play better also. Uh, maybe not Kyrie Irving, but Durant certainly is going to shoot better than 9 of 24 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3, despite the stifling Jason Tatum defense. I think Durant is going to bounce back. Um, I'm not sure if you're going to get much more than Durant and Irving playing really well from this Nets team. Uh, but I'm curious about what you guys see. Well, hold, hold on. Let me let me say one more thing about Jalen. I feel like you're always going to get some really athletic plays and some big moments from Jalen that offset some of the boneheaded plays of him not seeing a teammate next to him wide open or uh, some of the bumbling turnovers. To kind of like like Rob Williams, like you're you're going to get some of the good ones that offset the bad ones, and that's just who he is a little bit. But I think if he can hit his threes and hit his layups, like that to me is the key. Like that, that shows that he's actually on that game. Um, and that demands that the other team really pay attention to him as a, a key figure on the offensive end. Cause that's really what he is. Like he's an okay defender. People say he's a great defender. I, I don't know if I would agree with that because I think off ball, he's average and on ball, he's really good. But what he does is score. And he's proven throughout his career that he can shoot the three and do it at a high clip. And so to me, that's what he's got to do in this series to, to really put us over the top and, and make every one of those layers. Could I ask you guys a, a, a little bit of a different question, kind of about the broader the broader rotation? As long as we get back to the question about Brooklyn. What was the question about Brooklyn? What adjustments do you guys see happening? What what do you think they're capable of doing? One thing I'm I'm curious about, I think... I think Mark Jackson brought it up in the broadcast um, was whether we get less Andre Drummond and more LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think that would be interesting. It would create more space for Brooklyn. Uh, Drummond didn't really give them anything anyways. Uh, and I always forget until I see, you know, see him on the court again, just how giant LaMarcus Aldridge is. Yeah. Like he's really giant, um, and I, my recollection is that Horford has always had a really tough time with him as well. Um, so he, if I were if I were the Nets, that's a move I would probably make. Uh, I was going to ask you guys. I mean, this is why we we kind of wanted Drogic on our team. Drogic had a huge game for the Nets. Uh, Fourteen points, six of eleven shooting, one for three from three. Played twenty six minutes. He didn't do anything for them in the regular season, but he's always kind of killed us. He killed us in that uh, Eastern Conference Finals against the Heat in the bubble, um, as well. You th- like? I'm I'm I wouldn't be surprised if he gives more of the same over the course of the series. Um. So. 
I would just, yeah, I would kind of roll with him and uh, probably decrease Drummond's time and increase LaMarcus Aldridge's time and, and otherwise kind of keep it steady if I'm the Nets. Yeah, Aldridge played 22 minutes a game, didn't shoot great from three this year, 30% only. Uh, and I think he's he's going to be hit or miss. Um, and I think it's worth them trying that. You lose some rebounding for sure and an inside presence with Aldridge. Um, and uh, I think they're both going to be a bit of a turnstile on the perimeter on defense, but I think Drummond provides a little more uh, room protection. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how much you're going to see either LaMarcus Aldridge or Drummond's. I think it's going to be, I mean, I think we'll see Aldridge in this series for sure. And I, I think it's a good point that he might be better than Drummond. He definitely gives you some offensive punch or at least someone that you could go to. So it's not just either Kyrie or Durant. Um, yeah, you can give the ball to, to, to Aldridge in the paint or in the mid-range and he can get you a few buckets, uh, especially against bench players even at this stage of his career. But just yep. who is he going to guard? You know, like it's not like he's going to be able well, to. Sir, stay so, what are they doing if you don't think that's? If you think I think they're going to do play. more small lineups. I think Claxton well, is going to. You're going to see an increase in Claxton's minutes because he can switch and, and guard anybody on the court. Um, and and I think they're going to just continue to play smaller and go to their advantage. I that, so yeah. I mean, I think what's tough for them is it's just not a great advantage with that. Yeah. If they had Joe Harris, it would be one thing. Yeah. Um, but without him, they've got, you know, they've got too many small guys. Like, you know, you're small. If Al Horford is like totally beasting you size wise, like I love Al Horford. I've always loved Al Horford, but he's not like a big man's big man, (laughs) right? Like he's never been a great rebounder, um, in his career. He, you know, he, he does the right things, but you know, Al Horford getting 15 rebounds in a game is a testament already that the nets were too small for big portions yeah. of this game. Um, if they downsize further, um, that, you know, they're going to, they're going to suffer and then they're going to suffer even more. Should Rob come back? Cause they'll suffer on one hand because then that means we only have to play one big lineups, which actually is better for us, right? The yeah. Al white, smart Jalen Jason lineup. Like that's our ideal unit anyways. And if we get to play that against a smaller lineup, that's great. And then um, if Rob comes back, then we could alternate between having a single big or two bigs that can still stay with everyone um, and really just outsize the nets. Uh, But the problem they have with Claxton, who I thought plays, I mean, he's really good defensively and what he adds is really valuable for them. But the fact he can't shoot free throws at all really hurts them. So I wouldn't want to be Steve Nash. That's a, that's a tough, tough situation. He's got to coach. So Nick Claxton played 30 minutes. I wouldn't be surprised if he played 35 to 40 in the next few games. Um, And then at some point here, I wouldn't be surprised if you see another guy come out of the woodwork here named Ben Simmons. He is someone who I think solves this roster personnel issue that we're looking at where you can't play those big loafing dudes like LaMarcus Aldridge and Andre Drummond. Like, who do you play? Like, that's one answer potentially. And I I don't know if you want to go too much into Ben Simmons stuff before he even suits up or has, has not, yet. Contact. not yet, um, not yet. But, but I think that, that this really is like a personnel and a roster issue for uh, coach Nash. And I think adjustments that we'll see more of are going to be more X's and O's. I really liked the play uh, that they ran a, a couple times. And I, I'm, I would speculate that they'll do more of these types of actions 
where Durant will be coming off of a screen away from the ball so that his man gets bumped before he gets a handoff. So it would be like a dribble handoff, but Durant's already come off of the screen into that other screen. Which yeah, is they, the had a, they had a couple of those resulted right. in like insta fouls, right? Yeah. Right. And so they only ran that a couple of times, but just getting Durant some relief from the physicality of our defenders by mm. bumping them with a screen, I think is going to be huge for them. And um, whether that results in a switch with the dribble handoff, uh, I think Durant has the ability to take advantage of that when he doesn't have someone draped all over him already. So, and, and the refs, I think, again, are going to play a big role in, in this question. Like, what are the adjustments? It kind of depends on how the refs play. I really like the fact that we, that we have guys who, I mean, even in the first game when the refs were doing their ticky-tack thing, our guys still were, like, playing smart, still were showing their hands and chesting people up, even if it was so physical that they were getting foul calls. I still think that, like, we... Uh, showed composure in that situation. Um, so, yeah, I think that you'll see some adjustments with X's and O's. I don't think it's going to be as much personnel and, like, who gets how many minutes. Like, I don't think we'll see Kessler Edwards get more time or Blake Griffin get on the court or young guys with no experience like Cam Thomas. I think that Coach Nash is going to lean into guys he trusts, like Goran Dragic. I really think it's cool that that we have some storylines. Like, you know, Dragic was Steve Nash's backup at point guard, and Steve Nash was his mentor in Phoenix when they played together. And I think that's just a really cool storyline now that Dragic is an old, an old grizzly veteran who's not moving as well and has some white hairs on the head. Um, having Udoka be from the Nets coaching staff, obviously we think of him as somebody who comes from the Spurs Popovich family tree. But going up against Brooklyn, we remember, oh yeah, he was with them all last year. He knows all these guys. Uh, if we ever play Philly, like he was on that staff too, right? So there's that um, rivalry kind of within the rivalry here with this series. So we, we've talked about the adjustments on Brooklyn side. What do you think might might be different on the Celtic side? Well, we have a, a defensive player of the year winner now, so... Uh, just let him loose. I, I think that um, I wonder about the way that they focused on Kyrie, especially at the end of the game. I mean, that last that last play where Kyrie wanted it himself and both Marcus Smart and Al Horf- Horford double teamed him, forcing him to, to kick it out to Durant, uh, who Tatum was guarding one-on-one. I wonder if, if like, how much help is, is Tatum going to get and how does um, – Kyrie's play affects the way that the Celtics defense plays Durant. Because to me, like Kyrie went off and I was completely fine with it. I was like, you know what? You want to do your one-on-one thing? I, th- I think we will win with that play. Uh, it seems like the Celtics were going into the game with the same attitude and like that implemented into the game plan. Kyrie's going to do whatever Kyrie's going to do. What are we going to do to stop Durant? Let's be physical with him. You know, like they obviously were getting guys in the locker room pumped up to defend Durant. You know, Grant Williams wasn't like super pumped up to be jumping in front of Kyrie Irving on a switch, but he was for Durant. Like you could just tell that they prepped more for Durant than they did for Kyrie. Um, I think for Kyrie, like the idea that you would not help off the wing to leave a shooter to double Durant or to, to even like take too much of a step towards him to close off that driving line 
is one adjustment that I would make if I'm the Celtics. I would leave a shooter and get the ball out of Kyrie's hands in that situation, uh, which is kind of like a no-no at any level. Um, but besides that, I mean, like Kyrie's going to miss a bunch of shots too. He's not always going to go off like this. And if he starts missing shots, then I think we're going to start to see his uh, mental lack of mental toughness come out a little bit more. And that's just going to play into the Celtics hands. It's like, they know how fragile he is mentally um, (laughs) that, that they're going to let him like, if he beats us, he beats us, but we're not going to let Durant beat us. And it's almost, it goes into the fact that we all know and that the team knows that Tatum wants to best Durant and, and like is hungry for that. Like, I wonder even maybe more so than, than how much like the guys on the Celtics team want to beat Kyrie. It doesn't feel like these guys hate Kyrie like the fans all do. Right. And so it's like just the intrinsic motivation that Tatum has to beat his, uh, not mentor, but you know, his idol in Durant, like that's almost like something it seems like the players are getting behind on Tatum's behalf more than they care about, you know, sending Kyrie packing. I'm not, I'm not sure I, I, no? I subscribe to that theory, yes. Josh. That's an interesting one. I think the players just, you know, want to win a championship. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and are not, and I think that's what they really care about. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think they're caught up in like we need to beat Brooklyn so that Tatum can take a a stake as a better player than Durant. I think they're, they're more just gunning for Banner eighteen, and that's what I want them to be aiming for. But you know, I I like the, like the creative thinking. Well, Um, so I guess my point is that they're not, they're not, uh, there is no vendetta like in the locker room with Kyrie. They're no, all I agree. Friends with I agree him with him and all that, right? And they know except that for Durant maybe Jalen. Is... I think Jalen still probably <laughs> wants to stick it to Kyrie. <laughs> yeah, and they know that Durant is really the head of the snake here, and so that the game plan is focused on him, and like we need multiple guys ready to shut him down as much as possible, or at least make it you know be physical with him so that we make it difficult. Um, yeah, I just I just had one quick thought on this, and and then. Uh we can we can move i i just thought from rotation i think it will be interesting to watch if this becomes a six player rotation uh in, at least in, unless rob comes back um pritchard only saw eight minutes of floor time tice only was on the on the floor for 20 minutes of time um and grant williams had a really rough game so i'm wondering i mean i i'm wondering if we we get only one of Grant or Tice, barring foul trouble, which maybe there just will be for both of those guys. So, so they'll both have to play. Um, six and, really, and really, it's just yeah. I'm saying basically the starters. So I guess it would be Tice and then Derek White. Yeah. In effect, um, and you know, uh, another thing I'm wondering is like, does Aaron Neesmith get some run uh, no. because he's a little bit bigger? Uh, and and might not be targeted the same way as Pritchard was on defense. I think that's unlikely. Um, yeah, but, there's more trust oh, those are, with Pritchard. The trust yeah, factor exactly. with Neesmith, and, and he should, and he should. I yeah. th- I think that's the right thing by Pritchard by uh, Udoka. Anyway, okay, we got to move on. There was some exciting news in Celtics land. What was it, Adam? Marcus Smart finally, finally. Defensive Player of the Year award given the award by Gary Payton. There's some great videos online. If you have not watched them, you should because it's amazing to watch 
the Celtics team celebrating Marcus Smart, the love for one another. It was awesome to watch Marcus Smart speak to uh, his teammates and and like the 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 coaches supporting him and helping him get to this level. And it was really cool to see Smart's love for Peyton and Peyton's love for Smart as the only two point guards ever to win Defensive Player of the Year. Smart winning it with 257 votes. Mike uh, uh, Mikhail Bridges came in second uh, with 202. Gobert third behind them, followed by Adebayo, Jaron Jackson Jr., Antetokounmpo, and then way, way, way behind Robert Williams the third. Uh, really just one first place and one second place vote. So Williams did not take much away from Smart. Uh, that it would affect him winning this. But this is a huge deal, I think, for the league, and it shows that uh, the people who vote for this uh, are starting to look differently uh, at defensive impact. And I think some of the the defensive analytics are, are helping. Uh, but the way that this, this game has changed with a 3 and, and D approach, spreading the floor, I think wing and guard defenders are more important than they used to be because – there's much more space that they're guarding on the perimeter now than 20, 30 years ago. And Smart is an amazing example of that because he's able to guard all five positions. And Marcus Smart won this award kind of by a wide margin. I mean, 257 total votes to 202 for Mikhail Bridges, but Smart with 37 first place votes to Bridges only 22. That's a big deal. And I think this is just another example of Marcus Smart being a point guard for a championship contending team that, uh, you know, most people wouldn't have said a year ago, two years ago, that Marcus Smart was a guy who could win a championship as the point guard, starting point guard. Um, and now he's defensive player of the year. So what do y'all have to say about him being a starting point guard for a championship team now? Yeah, I Marcus. mean... He's he's uh, the the defensive quarterback as a point guard. He is like this is this is why the chance he got this year is the one I was hoping he got instead of us acquiring Kemba back in the day. I still think about what a Kemba or not Kemba, sorry, a Marcus, Jalen, Jason, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford lineup would have been like four years ago, three years ago, whenever that was. Like that's what, but I, I try not to stay in that space too long because we're in a pretty good place now. Um, but that, like, the the fact that Marcus Smart can kind of quarterback an offense or, or facilitate an offense um, and be just you know an unstoppable wall uh, on the defensive perimeter makes a team be able to do what the Celtics have done this year. So it's awesome for him to get the national recognition, you know, the the most important defensive player on the best defense in the league by a mile. Um, it, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and just to cap that off, I feel like the, this Defensive Player of the Year award or just any accolade that is a national accolade for the best of something in the NBA could not have gone to like a better dude than Marcus Smart. He just he seems like just such a nice guy. I mean, he's he's not only all over Twitter for winning this award, but for like rolling his window down and taking a picture of a Celtics fan as his car's driving by. And, you know, just the things that he's the way he's matured over the last four or five years that kind of as we've seen him grow up as Celtics fans, 
we've seen him grow from a guy who's like potentially volatile um, and and uh, maybe has some uh, has had some troubles controlling his emotions and uh, frustrating situations into somebody who is like quite honestly just like trying to do good all over the place and and just be a personable nice person in the community with his teammates like trying to do everything the right way and um i just want to comment on him as a person and uh being proud of him for winning this award for from that perspective as well well dude we're we're all proud of him we all love the way he plays but you don't actually know marcus smart and what he's like as a person adam you don't know me Speaking of guys who are volatile, can't control their emotions, uh, I got to talk about Kyrie Irving just a little bit because uh, it's this is to be expected, but I was still surprised at his behavior, flipping the bird multiple times, throwing middle fingers up at the Celtics crowd. I'm sure that there are, some, there are a handful of Celtics fans that are yelling pretty horrible things <laughs> to Kyrie Irving uh, that justify a reaction like that, I'm sure. Uh, I also am sure that the majority of Celtics fans are yelling things that are in the heat of, of competition and as fans watching a basketball game that are reasonable for a playoff game uh, at Kyrie Irving and all of the Brooklyn Nets. Um, the part that surprises me is that Kyrie is reacting in a way that is not helping him. He doesn't want to be, he's trying to not make this an issue, this relationship right. between him and the Celtics fans. Uh, he's trying to play it off like it's on Celtics fans, that it's their their fault. And instead, what he's doing is showing all of us as fans uh, that, he, he, that we're getting in his head, yeah. that he does care about this, that he hears what we have to say, that he doesn't like it, that he's thinking about it during the game, uh, and that it's bothersome to him. And that we can actually have an effect on his behavior by our behavior. And that is not a helpful thing for him. Uh, it, yeah, maybe it's motivating him to hit more shots, but it's also motivating him to play selfish basketball like he did, um, especially on that last play. And it's also motivating the media to ask him all sorts of questions about this in a way that he does not that interested in. So it's just adding fuel to the fire um so way to stay classy Kyrie <laughs> love it and uh and I just don't see how he's helping himself it's it's just just he baffles me baffles me well said Josh, I wasn't gonna really before we go I wasn't back? I was gonna say kind of the same thing uh so I'm not gonna say anything it's it's exactly what like you, you get the last word on this yeah yeah, my I mean, my last word is I I genuinely uh, loathe discussing any of the off the court stuff with Kyrie. Um, I I don't want to give it breath. Uh, and is this and not so on the court I just, at this point, Mike? No, no, it really I really I I I think he's it it doesn't matter. Like I don't care about I don't want to talk about him. I want to talk about the Celtics played one of the best games I've I've watched of the Celtics. I want to talk about the basketball game. It was so exciting. It was exhilarating. I don't care that about what Kyrie did. He was exceptional on the court. He made it terrifying for me to watch the game. And then Jason Tatum and the whole team came together. were gritty as hell and, uh, made, you know, a game winning basket. The first time the Celtics have ever had a game winner on their home floor in play in the playoffs in the franchise's history. 
that's all I want to talk about. I don't care about him. So I I don't like that we gave breath to this on this podcast, and I don't want to give any more breath to it. Well, I think the NBA, if it continues, the NBA is going to step in. You can't just keep giving the bird to the fan, to the kids and the fans uh, in the fun. stands. You know, like is the NBA will have to step in, not just finding him, but that also is going to then, as Adam said, throw fuel on the fire and make it even worse. So it's it's just it's yeah, idiotic to be downplaying it in in the in your comments to the media and then not downplaying it when you're actually on the court. I think fans kind of love it. Got to say, next game Wednesday. 7 p.m. against Brooklyn. They play again, game three on Saturday, game four, uh, and that's at Brooklyn. So first two at home, then two on the road Saturday, and then Monday at Brooklyn. We know we will be watching. We know you will be too if you're listening because just like the Celtics warm-up jersey said, we are all a part of Celtics pride. Thanks, Celtics, for promoting this podcast. Uh, Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you want to follow us on Twitter, at Celtics Pride Pod. Individually at Mike Minkoff NBA and at Coach Motenko. I am not on Twitter. Thanks again for listening, everyone.